0: Morning again to everyone. If you will turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter eleven, I think this is our third Sunday to be in Hebrews chapter eleven. Who knows how many more it'll take to walk through this hall of faith? My wife said, "Rodney, you don't have to preach every person about every person in there." But um, so far, so good. Uh, lots of lots of good stuff going on in Hebrews. Chapter 11, last Sunday, we were finishing up with uh, Enoch. It says that Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more, for God took him. And it says, but before he was taken, Enoch was one who was commended uh, as one who pleased God. And so then it says there in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. We know Enoch had faith because he pleased God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, who comes to God, must believe that he exists. Nobody would come to God if they didn't think that he was actually there or if he existed. So you must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do I earnestly seek him? Do you earnestly seek him? I'm reminded of a passage in Jeremiah chapter 29. Many of you know this passage, or at least a verse here in, in uh, chapter 29. You've got it on your wall. Somebody has embroidered it for you, cross-stitched it. We love this verse. And this verse is not written to us. This was written to the exiles who were returning uh, after 70 years in Babylon, but it is written for our encouragement. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. We, We love that passage, don't we? I mean, it's, it's beautiful. We love the thought that, that God has a plan for us. God is not wanting to harm us, but he, but he has good things in store for us in our future. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And God said, I will listen to you. Look at verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, you will seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. Some of you may know the name Albert Lemons. I consider Albert a a friend of mine. I met him years ago at a a spiritual gathering, a retreat that we were a part of. I have have learned from Albert. Uh, He is, he's really uh, a prayer warrior. He's a true prayer warrior. He's written uh, several books about prayer. Um, But Albert's son, um, Albert has talked a lot about prayer and he's talked a lot about fasting um, in conjunction with that. His son uh, grew up under his uh, tutelage, obviously, and um, Albert was relating a story to us about his son who was fasting for 40 days. He actually fasted for 40 days. I don't know how many of you have uh, very much experience with fasting. I've never fasted for 40 days, I'll tell you that. I fasted for two or th- I think three days at the most, and always in conjunction with prayer, prayer about something, uh, focusing, heightening uh, my awareness about the need for God and asking God to, to do something in my life or in the life of the church. But Albert's son, uh, under the care of his doctor, was fasting for 40 days. He said he went to his doctor at the end of the 40 days, and, and his doctor was, was encouraging him to, to, to stop the fast. He said, uh, I don't want you to, to do damage uh, to your body. Um, so I, I'm encouraging you to 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 discontinue the fast at this time. Albert's son told his father, he said, "Dad, he said, I don't I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop fasting." And he says, "Well, son, I, why why exactly why exactly would you want to continue on after the 40 days?" And he said, "Dad, I don't want to stop." He said, "I." I have the smell of God in my nostrils. I have the smell of God in my nostrils. That's what he told his father after fasting for 40 days. The psalmist said this, "O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Have you ever truly been thirsty? Have you ever truly been hungry? I've, 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 never, I've never wanted really for anything. The times that I fasted and did without food is because I decided to do that, not because I had nothing to eat. But imagine you were a man in a dry and weary land, where there was no water, and and all you could think about was getting a drop of water. You needed water to sustain your life. You would die without it, and you would almost, you would do nearly anything for a drop of water. That's how the psalmist says, "God, I seek you. I earnestly seek you, like a." Man in a, in a desert, a dry and weary land, where there is no water, my soul thirsts for you. That's the kind of faith that God is looking for. When nothing else can satisfy you, only God. Nothing else in this world holds any charm for you, but God, only God can satisfy you. When you seek God like that, he will reward you. Have you ever sought God like that? Well, let's take a look at Noah. Hebrews chapter 11. appreciate the reading this morning. That came out of Genesis. Last Sunday, we looked at Abel. By faith, Abel... Uh, Faith meant giving his best to God. He brought a better offering, not because it was animal versus um, vegetation, but because he offered it in faith. Uh, By by faith, Enoch, that meant walking with God. And it seems that the walk with God started with the birth of Methuselah. Maybe the birth of his first child had turned his heart to God. He said, I need help, I need answers as many of us do when little children come along. But then at the age of 65, it says Enoch began to walk with God. And for the next 300 years, faith for him meant walking with God, every facet of his life. And now we see Noah. By faith, Noah was concerned about the salvation of his family. Now, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 6 and 7 to, to get the story. We're, we're not going to take time uh, to read all of that this morning, but you get this incredible story of how Noah receives the word of God and about the, the upcoming flood, and Noah responds in faith. He takes God at his word, despite all appearances um, to the contrary, that there would be a flood Noah believes God. And God says, Noah, this is what I want you to do. And he tells him exactly what to do and how to build the ark. And for 120 years, God expresses his patience. I think all of my life growing up, I was told that it took Noah 120 years to build the ark. Is that what you've been told? It took Noah 120 years to build the ark. I think what what he's saying is God, God said, and Joshua read it to us this morning, God says, I'm sorry that I even made man. The thoughts of man were just continually evil. Every thought of man was, was about doing evil and, and coming up with new ways to do evil. And God says, I, I, I'm sorry. The King James says I, that he repented that he even made man. And so he says, I'm not going to contend with man forever. And he says, his days shall be 120. What God is saying from the time that God uh, says that there's going to be a flood, from that time, it seems that there is a 120-year period when, when he's going to wipe it out. So when you look at the birth of Noah's children and, and they're being married, somewhere between about 55 and 75 years is sort of the best guess of how long it took Noah uh, to build the ark. But God gave them 120 years. God was patient. Noah, the faithfulness of Noah as he preaches. And and we don't know this from the Genesis account, but, but Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2 that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was a preacher of righteousness. And that served not only to proclaim the way of salvation to his listeners, but it serves, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, to condemn the world. By faith, he condemned the world, and he became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So every time Noah stood and proclaimed the judgment of God, he called into question their lifestyle. Now, the Genesis account, again, doesn't doesn't tell us, but you have to imagine that if he was a preacher of righteousness... That for all of these years, Noah begins to build this boat, and people come to him and say, "What are you, what are you doing, Noah?" Well, I'm, I'm building, I'm building this big ark. God, God told me to build it. Why did God to, tell you to build this? Well, because it's going to start raining and he, He's going to flood the whole earth. Noah, you've lost your mind. You're crazy. You can almost hear him down at the coffee shop. Do you see that big boat in his backyard? What is he doing? We are miles and miles away from the coast. We've never seen that amount of water here. And Noah says, no, I'm telling you. God has said that he's going to flood the earth, and if we will just get into the boat, we'll be saved. And you can get into the boat as well. Noah You've lost it, man. You have lost your mind. But Noah says again, listen to me. It is appointed a man once to die, and after that the judgment. But if you'll just get yourself into the boat, you too can be saved. Where would anybody, where would anybody come up with a story like that? Where could anybody invent a story as crazy as that. Unless God told him to preach that. Unless God told him that that was going to happen. Noah, I want you to build an ark, take your family, get in the ark, and you'll be saved. And I want you to tell the people around you about the possibility of their salvation as well. You know in some ways that's that's what I do here every Sunday morning. It's appointed a man once to die and then the judgment. Eternity is a long time. Eternity is a really really long time and you're either gonna spend it with God in heaven or you'll be separated from God for all eternity in hell. And that's going to last forever. But God, but God who is rich in mercy, I just love hearing myself even say that. But God who is rich in mercy has, just like in the days of Noah, Provided a way of escape. Those who are humble enough to admit their need, who will confess their sin, who will repent of it, turn away from it, stop doing that, may come by the way of the cross to the place of freedom, to the place of safety, to the place of redemption, and to the place of forgiveness. But if you'd rather stay where you are, if you'd rather just stay where you are, then you will indeed die in your sins. It's as simple as that. For 120 years, God had his man say, you don't have to perish. You don't have to die. Just get in the boat. No, we're not getting in that stinky boat full of stinky animals. Are you kidding? You're crazy. You've lost your ever-loving mind. So, preacher, are you telling me that the only way to be saved is to kneel at the cross of, the cross of Christ and to be obedient to the gospel? Is that what you're telling me? Yes, Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm telling you. And that's the way that those who are earnestly seeking God come. Humbly, before the cross, and say, God, there is nothing good in my hands that I can bring you. There is nothing good that I have to offer. I'm accepting your free gift of grace through my faith. To remain in unbelief is enough to destroy you for all eternity. To believe in modern wisdom instead of believing in the cross of Christ will destroy you. Noah believed God, he feared God, he obeyed God, and he was saved. Everybody else, disbelieved, mocked, and perished. Noah believed God. He feared God. He obeyed God. And he was saved. Everybody else did not believe. Mocked and they perished. I want to take you to 2 Peter. Turn over a few pages to the book of 2 Peter. And uh, let's go to chapter 3. Some of the stuff we don't, uh, we don't get from reading the Genesis account, but I love that Peter has uh, recorded this for us. 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 3. The word of the Lord. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, Everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. You you, you keep talking, preacher, about this return of Jesus. You keep saying that the Son of Man is going to return, and he's going to take his church, his bride, to be home with him. But everything just keeps rocking along like it always has. Since the very beginning of time, since the very beginning of creation, nothing changes. Day after day after day, we go through the same things, and nothing has changed. But they deliberately forget. What do they deliberately forget? They forget the flood. They forget what happened. That long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the same word that, that caused all of that to happen, all of that calamity to come upon the people for the, the, the waters, the flood to rise and, and to wipe away all of mankind, save Noah and his family. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. They deliberately forgot all about the flood. But listen to him. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. Don't forget this. With the day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. How long did God give the people when when he said there's a flood coming? There's a flood that's coming, but... uh, if you build this boat, and you get into it, you'll be saved 120 years from the time God dropped the mic on them to the time that the flood came. 120 years. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day to God. Look at this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why didn't God just wipe the people out on, on day two or day three? You know, 120 years he gives them. You know, after a couple of months, he said, look, let's feed this boat thing up. Let's get this boat, you know, finished, and I'm just going to wipe them out. I'm tired of it. Why was God so slow, quote, slow in keeping that promise? Because God is patient. God is not wanting anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. And I've told you this before, but I I so often pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I want the Lord to come now. Don't you just get tired of this earth sometimes? You get tired of, you get tired of the diagnosis, you get tired of the chemo treatments, you get tired of losing people that you love, you get tired of little ones getting sick and dying. <laughs> You just get so tired of this world, and you say, Lord, Jesus, come quickly. And the only reason, the only reason that I don't want him to return today. Today's, Today's my birthday. I don't know how many of you know that. Happy birthday. Yeah. Please don't sing again to me. My Bible class sang happy birthday to me. There's only so many notes in the scale, and we used every one of them. (laughs) Wrongly. (laughs) Paul and I are going to get in the car, and we're going to drive to Nashville to see my sister. Her birthday was four days ago. But my sister is not a Christian. She's never given her life to the Lord. And I want her to know the forgiveness that is found only in Jesus. I want her to know that. And so as much as I want the Lord to return and take us home, I'm so grateful that he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. Turn over to 1 Peter, I'll wrap this up. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3, let's go to verse 13. The word of the Lord says this, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. We don't have time to to, to get into all of that last couple of verses But God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Look at this. In it, in the ark, only a few were saved. Eight in all were saved through water. The same water that destroyed all of the earth and every living creature that walked on the earth, every man, woman, and child that was alive during that time, that water wiped them all out. Only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. The water that destroyed those people saved Noah and his family, right? And look what he says. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Just like the water that destroyed the earth saved Noah and his family, Peter says... That water that saved Noah symbolizes baptism that what? Saves you also. It's not the removal of dirt from the body. It's not like taking a bath. It's not the removal of dirt from the body, but it's the pledge of a good conscience. Or actually, I think the, it's better translated, it's an appeal. It's an appeal to God for a clean conscience. And then it says, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, so many people, <clears throat> they talk about, you know, how do you get saved? How, how, do, how does a person get saved? And, and so many people, and I, and I think we, we've always preached baptism in the church, and rightfully so. We haven't even understood baptism very, very well, I don't think. We, we just think it's the way we get our... Our card punched. It's how how we get our stamp. Uh, That's our our get out of hell free card. And we just get dunked and we're going to go to heaven. And then we may or may not be transformed into the image of Jesus, but we got our card punched. That's not what baptism is. Baptism is a death and a burial where the old man, the old woman dies. The body of sin is done away with so that we can be resurrected to walk in newness of life. And I get so tired of hearing people say, well, if you just say this prayer uh, and invite Jesus into your heart, you will be saved. That teaching is going to damn millions of people to hell because they erroneously believe that by saying a prayer and inviting Jesus into the heart, they were saved. And they say nowhere, nowhere does it. Does the Bible say baptism saves you? Baptism is something that that you're going to want to do, but but you get saved just by believing. Yes, it starts with believing. By faith, you're saved by grace through faith. And that's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Even the fact that God allows us to be buried in baptism is a gift. It's not a work. People say, well, if you have to be baptized, uh, it's a work. Well, if you have to say a prayer, why isn't that a work? If you have to invite Jesus into your heart, is that a work? All of it's a gift of God. And the water that destroyed the earth, that saved Noah and his family, that same water symbolizes baptism that what? Saves you also. Man, I wish I had a church to preach to this morning. I didn't think this was going to be a sermon about baptism, but that's what it's turned into. Listen, don't be ashamed of what the Bible says. Say what the Bible says. Let it speak. If you just jump in that water, is that going to save you? Not without faith. You've got to have faith. But it's the grace of God that allows you to even come into his presence and and, and to ask for that forgiveness, and to put him on in baptism. That, in and of itself, is the grace of God. Noah's impact on his community had something to do with his preaching. I know it did, but the greater impact that Noah had had to do with his obedience. People around us definitely need to hear the word of God. They need to hear the word of the Lord, but they need to see our obedience to that word and how we live our lives. They know that you're not supposed to steal. They know you're not supposed to kill. They know you're not supposed to commit adultery or covet your neighbor's wife. Or They know all of that. They're looking at us to see, do we believe that and are we living it? It speaks volumes to the world around us when we show up 30 minutes late for work and we leave an hour early, oh, and you're a Christian? And you're trying to do the bare minimum, skate by and let somebody else do your work for you? Please don't put a bumper sticker on your car or have that little fish symbol when you're weaving in and out of traffic honking and flipping people off because they pull in front of you. Don't, you know, don't, don't profess to be a Christian if you're going to live like the world. And I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to me. Our Christian obedience is maybe the most impactful factor in seeing unbelieving men and women become faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Yes, we need to, we need to teach people. But if we're not living the life in front of them, can you imagine day after day Noah goes out to, to build on his boat? to pick up where he left off the day before, and year after year drags on, and people are looking at him like, what what is wrong with you? Just if you'll get in the boat, you can be saved. Man, you've lost your mind. Day after day after day after year after year after year, Noah was obedient. Noah had nothing to go on but the word of God and the promise of God. But he believed and he lived his life accordingly. That's called faith. That's called faith. When that's all you have to go on is the word of God and his promise and yet you live your life accordingly. Maybe there's someone here this morning that needs to put Jesus Christ on in baptism. I'm going to tell you, I do not know the exact moment of salvation. I I don't know. Is it it when you believe and you have the faith to to obey God and, and boom, you're saved? I don't know. When I was a kid, I was taught that it's it's when you came up out of the water. The moment you came up out of the water, that's when you were saved. Is that the exact moment of salvation? I don't know. But I know that that water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. So if you need to put the Lord on in baptism, why are you waiting? You say, Rodney, I'm not ready to make a decision. You've already made a decision. If you choose not to decide, you've still made a choice. That's what Rush said. Not Rush Limbaugh. Some of you look that up when you go home. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. I'm just not ready to follow you. I, I don't know if I can give all my... You've made a choice not to follow him. And I'm asking you this morning to make a choice to follow him. It, it's not easy. You may be made fun of. People may mock you like they did Noah. Surely they did. but you trust God, you take him at his word, you believe in his promise, and regardless of what anybody else around you does, how they live, you live for God. That's called faith. And he will reward those who earnestly seek him. Like a man in a desert in a dry and weary land where there is no water, God, you're the only thing that will satisfy Is that the way you feel this morning? That God is the only thing that will satisfy you. I want that to be your heart's desire.